Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. What else are we doing on this? We got Antoinette, we got Hipgrave, we've got Listener Mail, we've got Rants and Raves, last show of 2020. Cool. Hopefully we can bust right on through this and it doesn't turn into a three-hour epic. Um, and Weld and I talked, we're definitely never doing the paid Patreon pre-show. <laughs> Nothing good's ever going to come out of that. Oh no, I lose my business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, welcome to episode seventy-nine of the Hammer Factor, the final episode here of twenty twenty. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, John Weld, co-owner of Immersion Research and policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis Geltman. What's up, fellas? Rivers. Oh, you guys are back. So what's going on? What's what are we Dude, looking at? It's back. Oh man, we just finally got a bunch of rain and everything came in and going kayaking. I mean, like all I wanted for Christmas was an atmospheric river, and it came early. <laughs> and yeah, I heard even John Weld went kayaking. I've heard this like seven times. Every time I talk to John, he's like, hey, I went kayaking. Yeah, there was freaking rain here. <laughs> That's going to be in the title, Weld Goes Kayaking. Let me write that down so I don't forget. Yeah, it's like uh, we ran the the Hood River at like 10 feet, which was, uh, was actually a lot of fun. I was kind of getting ready to poo-poo it going over there. I was like yet another you know, blue square groomer. <laughs> that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna suffer through, but it was actually listen, really fun. Listen, dude, we got plenty of blacks around here when you're ready to. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> for, like, for like three weeks out of the year. You're set. But uh, guess what I got? What? I got an OG. Oh. And. Well, I haven't accepted delivery on this this craft yet. I was supposed to pick it up today, but I can't. I'm trying to track down Evan. Okay. Now you'll have no excuses, man. The thing is like the security <laughs> blanket of all security blankets. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. It's so good. It's going to roll like 100,000 miles off your odometer, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you? Where are you, Weld? Dude, I'm in a closet. <laughs> it's been quite a day. We have no, do you have any, do you have gas, Geltman? Uh, my house doesn't have gas. Because we have no heat, no hot water. Someone hit a gas line outside of town, and and uh, like the entire Columbia Gorge is without gas for three days now. I forgot that it was Oregon inside too. It's so yeah. crazy. And so I've been going around trying to find some place that wasn't freezing cold to to do this. I'm so happy to hear you got some water out there, man. You guys deserve oh. it. I mean. Oh. I, I hope that we're in business now for the season and we just need like maintenance rain from here. Like we just, we got if, a big shot of rain. If I was only going to get one boat, it should be the OG and not the Steez, right? I mean, it depends what you want to do, but I would say the OG. All right. That's what I thought. But you should really get more than one boat. If I lived out east, I think I'd just get the Steez. Why is that? Yeah. I don't know. It just feels more manageable. 
I was paddling the seas like a bunch, and then when the water finally came up, and like first real proper little wet of the season was like I don't know low fours, and I was very glad to have my nice training stern to keep me keep me in line. That was this year. Yeah, yeah, just like a couple of days ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like pulled the OG out from under the deck, and I was glad to have it. I was glad to have it. What'd you pay for your boat, Geltman? Can't talk about that on here. Come on. Did you pay retail? That's we can't do that to Evan, man. I paid. I paid retail. Good. I think paying retail is the new core. We had we had uh, James Bird. I wasn't there, but I heard this anecdotally. James Bird, I'm guessing Regan, you know, ex North Fork race organizers, into the store. And they're like, we're not going to accept a pro deal. We're paying retail. I think it's a, I think it's a movement. Good for them. I'm not going to sit there and try and, <laughs> you know, whittle down a few hundred bucks off of Evan. Why would I do yeah, that? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Is cool. there some... Race, you would, though. Is, you would totally. Is there some kind of like behind the scenes, under the rug, walk a sponsorship of the Hammer Factor going on here? I need to be like filled in on because what's going on here? I mean, that's Do probably just... the best. That's probably the best value in in Whitewater sponsorship right there is just hooking the three of us up and doing clandestine product placement. You see, now you're going back to getting the pro deal again. Right? <laughs> This is my first non-piranha. Well, no, it's not true. I did have I had a brat forever, but I've been basically a piranha boater for forever. <laughs> I mean, the last non-piranha creek boat I had was like a, a huck or something. Remember that boat? Oh, god, the huck. That was I ran the shit the huck. And then I, I, I know, and then I had a uh, what was the one that Johnny Kern made? The uh, Grande, Hefe Grande. That was a good one. That was a good boat. Yeah, I paddled one of those for a long while. Well, let's see. We got more rain coming here in North Carolina. Another couple oh, of inches uh-huh. coming tomorrow. <laughs> so that's good. Um, got to give the Hammer Factor a pat on the back for the old Whitewater Journal, man. We're getting a lot of good messages about the Whitewater Journal. I'm sending your guys' out along with a special treat ASAP. Is it a uh, a new left-hand control straight shaft? Uh, sure, um, what am I talking about? Um, Shogun. That's what no, I want. no, that's impossible. That's 204. Actually... Write this down <laughs> to go with my journal. 204, Dude, I, uh... Great Shaft, Shogun. I'm going to say, uh, go ahead and put a slap of 60 on there. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I entirely filled up my 2020 Hammer Factor Whitewater Journal. All 200 pages? And I had to dust off my 2019 that I had never opened and start making that into 2020 volume two. You know what you need? You need kids. <laughs> big news. Guys, I got some big news. This is big breaking news. No one knows about this. <laughs> At 3.56 p.m. East Coast time today, Green River Access Fund closed on a piece of property to secure permanent access to the Green River Narrows. Literally just happened probably 37 minutes ago. 
to write it's it awesome. out. awesome. Congratulations. Is it the same place you guys have always been using? or? Um, it's very close to there. It's actually even a little closer to the river. It's even a shorter hike. But, I mean, it's been, you know, I've been on the board for eight years. We have been looking, looking, looking. This place came on the market. We had saved enough money from key sales to buy it. And we put in the offer, and there was some due diligence things that kind of worked out last minute, and we have closed. So, permanent, congratulations, dude! That's really sick. Permanent access you, is right around the corner for the green. Are you going to keep? Are you going to keep charging? You think just for like property taxes and? Well, we got to do some fundraising to pay for the actual construction of the lot because it's a wooded area right now. And we're, we'll probably do key sales in 2021. But, I mean, when you look at taxes and upkeep and whatever versus the 10 grand we got to pay to rent that acre for people to park now, it's going to be a 10% of that. So, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Let me pose that to you. Let me pose this to you guys. Let's say that you had a private place that was just boaters on the Little White. No one else could park there but kayakers. And, and, you know, there's not really a place like that on the Little White. But uh, anyway, there was a public access point where you didn't have to compete with, you didn't have to worry about people littering in your parking lot, not to deal with hikers, fishermen, or anything like that. Would that hold value to you, or would you just as soon just let it be free-for-all, anybody can park there? I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. I mean, I guess it would depend on if you felt like it was going to, you know, become like crowded, like if you needed to keep it. I mean, I guess I feel like there'd be some advantages and something like that. Once you guys own that property to try to get like LWCF money and like bring it into public ownership and then, you know, get your money back and just like walk away from it and let somebody else manage it. You know, like I would hate to, you know, it's like, what do you do when it turns into like, like kayak gypsies living there yeah you know kayak, <laughs> or you show up to you show up and there's no place to park because yeah. there's a you know a group of 30 hikers that have decided to park there for the day you know like and there's literally no other place around there to park so it's not yeah i mean if that's the concern then yeah i mean maybe you should just keep keep gating it and keep keying it and charging yeah. And then put that money towards some other like access or conservation stuff or just upkeep of the place or yeah. having a huge party or whatever you want, you know? Yeah. Anyway, long story short, permanent access. No more is it in limbo. So that's a huge announcement. That's, that's really cool, dude. I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty stoked. It's been Do you uh, remember you Gail, were you were you around during the, the crazy days of the Upper Yacht put in? No. Was, I don't ever remember it being I mean, I always heard stories when I was a kid, but I think it was before my time when it was like really actually gnarly up there. I remember going on a valley mill trip and we were going to run the upper yacht. This is early, early on. And, and McEwen put on, Tom McEwen put on, and there was a landowner who said that, you know, you can't do that. And he basically, he put on and told us the rest of us, we were like, we weren't allowed to or whatever. And he put on, he, when he got to the bottom of the river, the cops were there ready to arrest him for trespassing. I remember Tom telling us about getting arrested for trespassing up there and then going all the way to court and they were like plead guilty and we'll we'll let you yeah. off with a warrant. they don't know who they're talking to <laughs> yeah like, no, I'm, not, I'm not doing that like i don't think this is trespassing like i refuse to and like you 
he like took it all the way through the trial and then had to pay a one dollar fine or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got a hell of a show lined up. Um, we've got Antoinette Toscano on to talk about her project Whitewater TV. She actually launched a video um, that was sort of a clapback to the Hammer Factor when we had Meme Boof on. Um, so we'll we'll have her dive into that. She also does a Diversify Whitewater project. That's pretty interesting. Um, We've got Chris Hipgrave from Piranha Kayaks coming on um, to talk about his waterfall running technique back in the day, among other things. Uh, I'm going to make Chris make Hipgrave talk to us about surf ski um, now that I'm intrigued by it. <laughs> he told me that paddling a surf ski in the Columbia, like on a downwinder, is as sketchy as doing a little white at like five feet or something. Interesting. That's, <laughs> That's quite a claim. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to the bottom of that here in a little bit when we get him on the show. Um, I mean, people have drowned out there doing that. I mean, I think they fall out of those boats and they can't swim to shore. That's it, right? I mean, you have a leash. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, let's ask, let's ask it. Seems pretty straightforward to me. I have a friend who was in a stand-up paddleboard race out there, and they had to rescue somebody who fell off their paddleboard in one of those downwinders. People drown every year out there it's involved in something like that. I... Anyway, we're way behind schedule. Lewis, what do you got? Um, what do you got? I mean, Well, I want to hear – this is what I want to hear. I want to hear about – we have been talking about Zinke and interior secretaries ever since this show started. Who's our guy right now? Um, Bern- uh, David Bernhardt. Yeah, Bernhardt. Mm. And we have a new administration coming in, a big transition happening. Wait a minute. After after that quote-unquote election? Thank you. <laughs> well, in theory, on January 20th, we have a new administration. That is yet to be seen. Well, let's not count our chickens before they're hatched, my friend. Okay. Well, Let's, let's count chickens. We can talk about it. Okay, so let's – Deb Holland. We got right. Deb Holland coming in. Um she would, I'm assuming, be the first Native American um, sec- Secretary of the Interior. Interior was he Secretary. thinking Native American? He was. He, he was part. <laughs> he was. I, I think. I don't. There was a picture. Yeah, so I mean, anyway, fill us in. What's going on with the new administration? Is this something exciting? Or are yes. we more the same? Yeah. What's going I'm, on? I'm so. The woman who Joe Biden is to nominate to be the new interior secretary is uh, Deb Holland, who is a congresswoman from New Mexico. She's currently the chair of uh, the House Natural Resources Subcommittee on Public Lands, um, and she's a Native American woman. And like, she's just so badass. And I'm just like, I'm so genuinely excited that he's appointing her to be the the interior secretary. Like. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I, you know, Joe Biden's cabinet picks so far, I mean, I think most people would describe them as like pretty safe. Like a lot of people who are, um, you know, coming back from the Obama administration, people who are, I don't know, like I read some comment into error sort of uh, obnoxiously describing them as like a team of retreads. But like, I mean, I feel like, 
I mean, there's certainly an argument to be made for bringing back people who have a lot of experience, just given the need to do so much rebuilding from the damage of the last four years. But to me, Deb Holland is just like, I mean, she's hands down the most exciting pick for me out of, you know, all of these people, irrespective of subject matter. And, you know, that he picked her to lead interior. It's just so cool. I mean, she's just like legitimately very progressive, like super, super environmental. Um, you know, I think it's hard. I think it's hard for us probably to like wrap our heads around how meaningful it is to have a, a indigenous person running the Department of Interior after their long sordid history of, um, you know, ignominious behavior with regard to the tribes. And like, I just, I mean, it's like as exciting as like if, you know, just even setting that aside, like it's as exciting to me as if you picked Elizabeth Warren to run Treasury or, you know, AOC to do something, you know, whatever. Like she's just, you know, a really exciting, legitimately progressive leader. And, you know, yeah, I'm just like over the moon about it. Like, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty cynical and jaded with regard to all of this stuff. And, uh, there's not a lot that gets me like legitimately really excited about politics anymore. Sad to say, and I'm I'm really fired up about Deb Holland. So has she made any statements or goals or what do you see? How do you see her policies directly affecting recreational, like people with the Outdoor Alliance? Um, I mean, I guess you know one thing that she's done in Congress is she's uh, the lead House sponsor of this. 30 by 30 resolution, which is this campaign to protect 30% of all lands and waters, um, like by 2030. And that's not just public lands and waters, like 30% of the United States, which is apparently what, um, you know, what scientists focus on biodiversity sort of think is necessary in order to stave off a massive extinction crisis. And there's a big global campaign to, you know, do this all all over the world. And she's been a leader on that in the house. She's somebody. So, I mean, I think, you know, Joe Biden has promised that he will immediately end fossil fuel leasing on public lands on taking office, which is enormous. I mean, there's still plenty of, um, you know, an inordinate number of leases out there that have not yet been developed. So this is far from like ending new fossil fuel development on public lands, but at least it will be taking places that are not currently, you know, under that threat off the table. Um, I mean, isn't the marketplace in general moving away from fossil fuels? I mean, isn't this going to be just not worth developing at some point just because there's no, there's no, there's, there's a dead end? Not yeah, natural I think that's gas, right. though. No, I mean, I think, I think that's right. But I mean, I think at the same time, it's like there's, you know, there's so much in need of reform with regard to the Department of Interior's oil and gas leasing program and, you know, the ability of developers to, to, you know, get these leases for like, you know, $2.50 an acre in some clay cases. And even though they might never be developed, having those leases on the land really makes a, makes the long-term conservation or development of recreation infrastructure mm-hmm. or anything else really, really, really difficult. So it's like this like speculative leasing binge that's been going on over the last four years. Um, you know, ending that will be will be really good. And you know, I think sort of uh, planning for smart renewable energy development on public land is definitely going to be something that that you know um, 
Deb Holland will have to, to lead on, and I'm sure that's something that's high on their agenda. Well, if she's but, not... I mean, it's going to be... I mean, it's just going to be, like, a total reset at Department of Interior. I mean, that place is literally run by oil and gas lobbyists right now. I mean, that is, like, where Bernard came from, and that I'm, I'm sure is where he's going again. And, you know, it's going to be a new day over there, and it's, it's really exciting. Huh. Well, if she's not just completely dismissive of the environment... I, no, I think far, it's a far, win. Far from it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like not. I mean, look. I mean, you guys rightfully give me a hard time about Zinky, you know. But I mean, I think at the time that felt like, you know, about the best that we could have possibly hoped for from Trump, right? Like he was somebody who had, you know, taken a few good votes on public lands issues, like said some good things. Was from the West, like didn't come from a, you know, wasn't somebody like Bernhardt who, you know had spent his entire career working in the fossil fuel industry. Like there was some reason to hope that Zinke was going to be something less than worst case scenario. And, you know, I think we were trying to be glass half full about it at the time, but like Deb Holland, like, I mean, I could not, I could not come up with a more exciting pick than her for sure. Nice. Well, it could be a new t-shirt. We'll see. <clears throat> Andrew Miller. <laughs> yeah. Work. I think he goes supping and Deb Holland gets a running the shit shirt. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we are already behind by about 15 minutes. Um, so I Oof. am going to see if we can patch in Antoinette Lee Descano here. And we can get to the bottom of her Whitewater TV hammer factor. Sorry, guys. That was my bad. Let's start. Stop drumming there, great. Uh, well, sorry. I'm right. I'm ready. Hip grave. Our next guest. To, just a note saying we're running a little bit late. Oh, nice. see if we can get Antoinette on here she had a clap back and I'll put a link to it in the show notes but it was it was a very polite clap back it's not the usual <laughs> vitriol yeah. we get I was I was, I was expecting <laughs> uh, you know originally I was expecting oh god what did we do now but it was actually Really nice. There she is. Welcome to the show, creator and Hi, founder Dallas. of Whitewater TV, Antoinette Lee Toscano. Did I say your name right, Antoinette? Antoinette's perfect. Okay. All right. Well, welcome we're to the Hammer Factor. We're talking about how pleasant your clapback was compared to the, the usual riffraff we get. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I try to be nice. <laughs> So speaking of which, Grace, you got a couple doozies this past week. <laughs> yeah, I definitely <laughs> well, well deserved. <laughs> I can't wait to but get to that you actually. Didn't get, you didn't get the, the we need to replace Grace email. That was for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, well before we get into some of the grittier details here, Antoinette, what's your paddle length and offset? So I paddle uh, an Adventure Tech 197 centimeter um, paddle with a, um, a bent shaft and a um, 
a 30 degree left offset. Well, thanks for watching the show, and we'll look forward to hearing you in the future. That was a great interview. Great. Thanks for your time. Weld over with the left offset. Yeah. And aren't you? Oh, wait, wait, wait. You're lefty? Yeah. Um, so I'm right. I, I'm left eye dominant. Primarily, I use my right hand, but I'm kind of ambi. But you have a left hand control paddle. Mm hmm. Fascinating. I also shoot with a left compound bow. So, and I can shoot pistol with both hands and primarily a rifle with just one with my right. Huh. I can't. Do any of that, so there's no reason. <laughs> there's no sense in that. <laughs> uh, so, Antronaut, before we get into your clapback video and some of um, some of the other things that that we were talking about earlier, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, so, while I'm an 11-year U.S. Army veteran, and I like to tell people that because you often don't see veterans in general, um, but you rarely see female veterans. Um, I am a former information technology CEO. I have a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA, and I work as a freelance writer for an international magazine, Cultures, C-U-L-T-U-R-S magazine. Um, I'm also a public speaker. I'm one of the co-founders of Diversify Whitewater and the producer-creator of Whitewater TV. Hmm. How long have you been out of the service? Oh, wow. So long. Uh, <laughs> about 15 to 18 years. I haven't Wait actually thought about that for a while. You look like you're about 22. I'm, this math isn't really working for me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well done. <laughs> well, the easy answer is black don't crack, but you do have to take care of it. Huh. <laughs> so, well, well. Yeah. so whitewater focus, were you a paddler before you were in the service? Was this something once you, once you got out? How, how did you get into well, the sport? I was not. I actually grew up in New York City. You can probably tell that from my video when I called you Hamafacta. <laughs> I, really I loved that, by that. the way. I loved that, by the way. <laughs> but... Um, so I was always kind of a weird kid, especially growing up in New York to be outdoorsy. But my mom's family had a family farm, just a small farm in um, uh, Virginia, Staunton, Virginia. And so that's where I kind of learned to hunt and fish a little bit and ride horses and just really love the outdoors. But I really didn't become an outdoors person until I was at the Carolina Tiger Rescue because I used to live in Raleigh for a while. I did it again, right? <laughs> hey, just, roll, just go with it. Go with it. <laughs> and, I love it. Um, I saw this poster that you could feed the the rescued animals at the tiger rescue with your you know, wild meat. And I thought, I'm going to go learn how to be a bow hunter so I can feed the cats, the big cats at the Carolina Tiger Rescue. And that was kind of my first entry into outdoor adventure sports, but my family was very much against it. So wait a second, back up. We so can you're... get into that later though, but <sighs> cultural baggage and limiting beliefs are a real thing and it keeps a lot of people of color from participating in adventure sports because of it. You mean just peer pressure, basic peer pressure within your community? Peer pressure of not being different, mm -hmm. of you know, the fact that some people, a lot of people of color have experienced 
not just dangerous situations, but lost their lives just for being in a place that was considered off limits to people of color. And we have that experience. I, I'm adopted, adopted by a black family, um, but we have that experience in our family. And so that was kind of a real thing that even though my parents grew up in the outdoors, they were worried about me participating in adventure sports. So before we get into this specific episode of Whitewater TV where the hammer factor got clapped back, um, what is Whitewater TV? Is, is this a YouTube channel? What is the kind of mission here? So XOTV is a brand new platform. It's much different from YouTube in that the creator, like myself, we fully own our content. Once you load something up to YouTube, it, it, you don't own the copyrights to, to that anymore. So for example, uh, professional kayaker Sadat Kawawa okay. uh, sent, sent in a video and we published that on Whitewater TV. Sadat still owns that copyright. Once he puts it on, on, on YouTube, for example, then that changes. So um, XOTV is a new platform. In 2021, XOTV will be an app on some smart TVs, much like Netflix and Hulu apps. Amazon Prime apps. And so I'm creating content. All of my original content that doesn't live anywhere else will be on that app. And um, content that maybe it lives on YouTube and it lives other places, but it also lives on Exo, on uh, XOTV, on Whitewater TV. That will not be part of the, the TV app. Okay. So this is a, you, you have a new channel on this new platform. That's right. Okay, cool. So I'm in good company, like with the likes of Snoop Dogg is on this channel, um, some other famous people who I can't think of right now. But nice. And how? So it, what's the like? What's the mission statement of Whitewater TV? I mean, what kind of content you're looking for? I mean, what what's the people are going to come there to see what? Like, what's the? So just because I'm a producer who's a woman of color doesn't mean this channel is you know specifically for women or people of color. It's for all people. So what I wanted to do, I, I realized that in adventure sports, there really was not one canonical source of information for people at various level of levels of entry into the sport. So for example, if you are a class five boater, you've been a competitive kayaker, or you're just thinking about getting into the sport, you can come to Whitewater TV and get a range of content from seeing professional and enthusiasts uh, paddling something in a foreign country or in your home country or getting ex instructional videos, your podcasts and, and other related. And like myself, I participate in more than one outdoor adventure sport. So many whitewater kayakers or paddle sports enthusiasts do. So I also offer um, the platform to other types of sports like hiking and climbing for example so so is whitewater tv is it like when you say a channel does that mean it's like similar to like a youtube channel or is it yes people and, have like there's more like sub things under that well it's yes and no so it's it's specifically for whitewater paddle sports people who also participate in other types of adventure sports so you Got can it. get you can get training here you can um, talk to, or see 
interviews and um, videos of your favorite professional kayakers and um, uh, competitive kayakers, but you can also see people who are brand new to us to the sport. Are you going to have oh. um, like staff contributors or just soliciting content, or how are you going to aggregate all this all this stuff together? Yeah. So, for example, we've got um, River to Rivers Eddie Out podcast. It premieres tomorrow. I've had su shoulder surgery, so I have to celebrate like <laughs> here instead of up here. <laughs> but um, so yes, we have um, Natalie Zollinger and Brittany Parker from River to River. They've got their Eddie Out podcast. It'll be airing on Whitewater TV tomorrow. Um, we have, uh, what else is coming down the pipe? We have um, on Friday, uh, Certified personal trainer Ali Hudo has strength and flexibility um, exercise video for paddle sports that's coming out on Friday. So it's a range of content. We have an amazing interview with um, the Lost Boys and Girls paddle crew. They were um, testing out some SOTAR inflatables and we did a great interview with them can't wait to bring that to you so yeah so it sounds like you're doing a lot of the i mean you're you're creating a lot of this content yourself or with a group of, of your people that you know so the interviews are are generally i create those mm -hmm. however other people like river to river and ali hudo are and sadat kawawa pramod magar they have submitted their own content we have the um Iranian Rafting Association, they're submitting content to us. So we're going to see some first descents in Iran that you and I can't get to. So it's going to be exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I like to paddle in Iran for sure. So can I dig into your clapback on the Hammer Factor a little bit? Absolutely. Do you want to just give us the basic recap or do you want me to break it down? How, what do you think the best way to do this is, Antoinette? I'd like to recap. Okay, go for it. So I'm I'm a fan of the show. I, I listen to Hammer Factor all the time. So I was listening to the show, making dinner, and I almost cut my finger because I heard Mean Booth say that you know, I mean he brought up a great point that some companies are putting out statements in uh, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and there's not much follow up. And so I understand his point where he was coming from, but he mentioned an organization that happened to be doing quite a lot to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, for people of color, black, indigenous, and people of color. And I can explain what the acronym BIPOC means and where it came from, if you like. Um, but when he mentioned Liquid Logic, I immediately flashed to I have to say something because right now consumers more than ever, they make their purchasing decisions based on who they know and like. So if they recognize your brand, if your brand um, supports the things that they are interested in, if your brand is doing good things in the world, then they spend their dollars with your brand. And so especially here and now at prime shopping season, Reason, I felt like if we allowed this message 
to live out there, that liquid logic specifically and the whitewater paddle sports industry in general have not done enough and, and it's wrong and that information just spreads. I was really concerned that it could really hurt one, the industry and two, liquid logic specifically. And, you know, I know Shane Benedict and I, he's just like a wonderful human being who does a lot. He had, and the company he co-founded does a lot, just like Immersion Research. Immersion Research was one of the first companies to help uh, diversify Whitewater, which is an organization that I'm heavily involved with. It's one of its co-founders, along with uh, Lily Durkee. And so I just felt like, what is the right thing to do? In this current climate, I knew very well that as a woman and as a person of color, if I stick my neck out there, it might get chopped off <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, Hammer Factor <laughs> is not known for being <laughs> the favorite <laughs> within, you know, this community that I am a member of. Whoa, 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 wait a second. That's wait, a second. Grace, though, to be wait, wait a second. How did, how did this happen? Tell us what it. they're talking about behind I'm that. I listen back. to your listener mail. Sometimes <laughs> I want to give you guys a hug when I hear your listener mail. I'm like, oh, sorry, but uh, wait till you hear. Own, oh, yeah. But you kind of own some of it sometimes. Uh, so you're going 100% of it. <laughs> wait till we get into the end. Wait till after your interview and we get into this episode. Pretty much, Lewis is wanting people are wanting to get kick Lewis off. I'm pretty much able to flat earther. I mean, it's gonna... I came away unscathed, miraculous. Yeah, somehow you got out of this one. Your time's coming, Wells. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, to in, sorry to interrupt, inter interrupt, Antoinette. No, no worries. I I really do like the show in all sincerity, but but I was worried not about what you guys might think about it. I was worried that no matter how nicely I said this, no matter how I how much compassion I put into my message, my response back. Potentially, it could not be well received amongst Hammer Factor viewers and beam, uh, Meme Booth uh, fans and followers. I follow Meme Booth. I think he's hilarious. But I, I felt like no matter how I say this, people are not going to like me for it because I'm saying something potentially perceived as negative about people they care about. That's understandable. And when you're hiding behind a computer screen, it's really easy to be very mean. Wise words. And I, I was a little nervous and I almost chickened out about saying something, but I felt like the adventure sports industry in general and Liquid Logic in particular didn't deserve that negative message to linger out there. And so I felt like the right thing to do was to say something. Yeah, and I, sure. stick and, my and I think and to be fair. I mean, Shane can't speak up. I mean, it just doesn't. It's not going to look good for Shane to start vocally, you know, disputing this. It's not going to get anywhere. No, I, I think it's very much appreciated what you're what you're saying. I so. agree. And you know, in your message, and I'll link to the episode in the show notes of this podcast. I mean, Liquid Logic was one of the first companies to jump on board. Shane opened up doors for you with Kayak Session Magazine and various things, and offered everything from discounts to any kind of support he could for what you guys were doing. And he was one of the first. And so I think your message is like, whoa, 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 hold up a second. These guys are being super legit about this, not just lip service. Absolutely. Um, Shane Benedict actually reached out to me uh, about helping out with Diversify Whitewater. Right. 
And, I, and so our first early adopter of this concept of promoting diversity, equity, inclusion in Whitewater was immersion research. And um, that initial statement to the community from immersion research, it actually kicked off a lot of people into action, myself included. Did you write that well? We wrote, I mean, it's a company, we wrote it. Right. Well, thank but, you for that. Oh, sure. No, and you're, I mean, you, you should definitely, I mean, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about diversity uh, Whitewater as well, because I mean, it, your program struck out immediately to us as something, you, you're actually doing something. And you had, you've had a couple events right now, right? Over on the Pooter? We have, but you know what I would really like, gentlemen, is if we could come back and have this discussion about Diversify Whitewater along with Lily Durkee, because Diversify Whitewater was Lily Durkee's idea. Okay. Um, and, you know, she asked me to go in with it and we took it from there, but um, it just, it's, it's not the same if we don't tag team this discussion because she's amazing and I'd love for you to meet her. Yeah, no, sounds good. We're... We're four minutes past time to get our next guest on, Antoinette, but I got a couple little things I want to dig in just from listening to your video I'd like to I'd like to throw out there. So you're writing this article on diversity, equity, and inclusion in Culture Magazine. Um, can you kind of talk, you mentioned that article and it's obviously something you've been working on for a while. Can you kind of summarize some of the points that are gonna be in that article for, for our audience? I don't wanna scoop your article here, but. Sure, so um, first I wanna say that um, if what, what <laughs> it's so much to say. <laughs> um, if I went into this article not knowing what I was going to write, and just letting the story take me. And so I, I because Culture, C-U-L-T-U-R-S, is an international magazine, it just can't have an American perspective. So I reached out to diversity experts, nature therapists, um, industry leaders all over the world. And most of them were like, oh, this is great. It's awesome that you're writing this article, but I don't have any expertise at diversity, equity, inclusion in adventure sports. So I don't want to talk about this on camera. Then the other response was, oh, I there's a lot I can tell you, but I don't want to talk about it on camera because I'm afraid of backlash. So, so it's very interesting to kind of hear this. And to, again, to Liquid Logic and um, Immersion Research's credit, they were the first companies that said, I'll talk to you about, about this. I'll, you can quote me. So... Um, yeah, it's really interesting to learn um, about whitewater and adventure sports around the world and in that whole perspective. Um, yeah, so. Do you touch on some of these organizations that you mentioned also in the video, like in Iran and Africa and India and some of the people yes. they're getting on the rivers and whatnot? Okay. Yeah, and, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention is this. This should be a wake-up call for the for every industry, but specifically outdoor adventure sports industry, which is close to my home and paddle sports, because there were in 2018 553 million people of color were born, not immigrated, not migrated, born in the United States. 1.9 million Caucasian people were born. 
73% of Caucasians participate in outdoor sports. That's down by 82, that's down from 82%. So there's a decline in Caucasian people participating in sports. There's a decline in Caucasian birth rates. And if the all industries, but if the outdoor adventure industry doesn't figure out a way to market to the larger percentage of human beings that could potentially buy the things that you make, how will the industry survive as birth rates continue to decline as people outdoor adventuring continues to decline and as people who are already in the sport age out of the sport become too busy get injured etc so you can either be like kodak who developed a camera a digital camera in 1975 saw the future coming and ignored it and almost didn't survive or you can say hmm maybe we should do a little more to promote diversity equity inclusion in paddle sports and other adventure sports well said you know if i mean i don't know what your plans are for that and whatnot but if you could put together some case studies where you've had some success with that i mean i can see there being real value with companies just getting consulting on this exactly how do we approach that in an authentic way you know I'm working on it with a diversity, equity, inclusion expert who is brave enough to talk about this. And, you know, all of the people that I mentioned in my clapback video and others, I did not mention the organizations like Kokatat, like uh, Watershed, who donated to Diversify Whitewater also, because this is not, my clapback had nothing to do with Diversify Whitewater. It had it was just my personal opinion as the creator and producer of Whitewater TV. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know who's doing what within the industry, go to diversify underscore Whitewater on Instagram, join, become a part of the community and look through our feed, our posts to see who's, who's really walking the walk. Interesting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Antoinette. I have an announcement though. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Can I give you guys a scoop? Oh, oh yeah. We love so scoops. I, I gave you the river to river scoop. It is uh, going to, their podcast will be in video format on Whitewater TV. Uh, but you're also looking at one of Badfish SUP's newest team members. Oh, yours cool. truly. Nice. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. So the, that's super exciting. The people there and, are awesome. Yeah. yeah, they are. Lewis is an avid supper. <laughs> 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 and um you know thanks for having me guys i hope you'll invite me back with lily so we can tell you all about diversified whitewater well, oh, con sure. awesome. con yeah. congratulations on that and in, in all sincerity and i mean we talk all the time we need a little diversity on this show and i know when we spoke on the phone a little bit I said, well, you may have to make a regular appearance here on the old Hammer Factor. So if you're willing to come back, we would definitely like to have you come back at some point. I'd love to come back. This was fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. Cool. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you for taking it easy on me. Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I knew you would. Well, you know what? As a member of the Ladies of Whitewater, I just wanted to say that <laughs> <laughs> ah, we just never you know can live what? it down i i come back every time i listen to the new episode every time so you must be doing something right right well oh, i no. appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question i don't know if we're doing something right or not yeah. when we get to the listener mail you may think different
Hey, when I get to be perfect, I'll throw stones. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, thank you for the time, Antoinette. Awesome talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. There you go, boys. I could have uh, talked to Antoinette for for a long time. Yeah. She's a hustler, man. I was the, the, we need to have him come back on and talk about the program she's doing in on the in Fort Collins. Yeah, for sure. It, it was it's actually a really neat program, and it had, from what I understand, really really good turnout. Max is is the guy that I are working with her the most, and we've been talking, you know, a lot about what she's doing. So it's really cool. I mean, when you start looking at numbers and you start thinking about business, which is kind of a weird way to look at inclusion and whatever, but totally. oftentimes economics breaks down borders you know what i mean it's like no and you know this is i hate to bring the trade show thing again but this is where we need to get back to an outdoor retailer sized organization you know that's oh, let's not get started that on has that, one. that has the the the, the 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 strength to to really address this properly it if we're just a bunch of scattershot companies coming about this from different angles it's going to be it's a tough one. Are you going to the uh, big show? Um, We're not invited. You're not invited. No. Huh. Well, we'll talk too much shit about it on the Hammer Factor. And well, no, we're soft goods. We're soft goods. This is only for boats. Oh. Yeah. Great. Um. All right. So. <laughs> Sorry, I just I'm uninterested in the in, in that whole thing. I could. I could go on and on, but it wouldn't be positive. So I don't okay. go Are ahead. You, you bring on hip grave. I am, but I'm not sure I have his correct thing here. Do you want to introduce him? Well, so we've been trying to get someone from Piranha to come on forever. And specifically, I've been, I've been trying to get Robert Pearson to come on. Who's, who's one of the designers who lives in Asheville. Does he live in Asheville, right? Or does he live south yeah, of you guys? He lives in Asheville. Um, he's, he's, not, he's, He's not one for the spotlight, though. Uh, and so finally, we were talking about Piranha and sort of their, you know, what direction they're headed um, post-COVID with all this unbelievable energy in the industry. And so the Matt, who's I think the UK-based marketing director at Piranha, wrote me and asked me if uh, he heard the show and asked if um, we wanted from someone at Piranha to come on. I, I said absolutely. So he offered up Hipgrave. Uh, but uh, Hipgrave has been. You bring him on right now. Yeah, I'm ready to go. I mean, I think this is him. USCKT. Yes, I'm pretty sure this is him. Chris is a paddler who's been around forever. He's a British guy, but you won't tell because I think now his accent's just about gone. Wouldn't you say? Oh, I can still hear the uh, his you accent. Can, he sounds sort of a. Chris, What's are you up, there? Gentlemen? Okay. Yeah. All right. Chris Hipgrave, uh, North American sales manager. Is that how That's I would? close enough. Uh, North American sales manager for um, Piranha Kayaks. Welcome to the Hammer Factor. Thanks, John. Great to see you. Great to see you all. Yeah. Yeah, your British accent's almost, I mean, it's, I want to say 30, 30% left, 70% gone. <laughs> <laughs> My, uh, my parents are 100% convinced I'm fully American at this point, and both yeah. Americans. So, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you right. You could you almost could fit in it like at South Carolina Denny's or something like that without raising an eyebrow. <laughs> he has no choice. <laughs> he lives just down the road. What um Waffle House, North Carolina Waffle Houses. That's right. That's where I practice my Appalachian accent. Could we, before we get into Piranha, there's a lot to talk about with Piranha. Oh, Piranha. But can we talk about your paddling career for a minute, which stretches back well into the 40s and 50s, I think, right? <laughs> I mean, we're going to bring up this video we're going to take in the 80s, which is, I mean, honestly, it's become my spinal tap of kayaking. It's something I refer to over and over and over again over the years. It's just a touchstone of awesomeness I, but you start i mean you're you started in the uk yeah uh, yeah so yeah. I, I i grew up in the uk doing slalom actually i thought slalom was my was how i got into the sport what year that was we started college uh, eight, eight, early 80s i think somewhere in there okay so all right um that was back when slalom courses were about three minutes long and sure. as uh as uh, as slalom courses got shorter and shorter, I got worse and worse at it. So, um, and then uh, kind of found uh, that was right around the kind of the advent of some of the early plastic boats. So, got myself a Topolino and met yeah, this guy did. called met this guy <laughs> called Sean Baker and started yeah. falling down some wet rocks. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah so video. that was yeah, hence the video. That's what that's where that came from. And that was filmed in I think 1989. So, we're, so we, we, I know we've talked about this video before, and you're going to put a link. I sent you the link to this, but you're going to put it in the show notes, right, Grace? I almost wish that I had my rig all set up so we could just do play-by-play. -play. What were you thinking right there in that shot? I, you know? I taught kayaking at Riversport for a number of years, and that video probably played almost every morning for about seven or eight years at Riversport. <laughs> and all the instructors would say it was very fast, it was out of control, and it hurt. That's yeah. how we describe every single <laughs> anything that we did. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was uh, that uh, every time I every time I get to see that thing or someone makes a comment, I cringe. It's one of those, it's one of those uh, one of those things that's never ever going to escape me. Uh, sadly, <laughs> well, I, I would point out that you know if you look at other videos from that era, you you're by and large the technique uh, shown in the video was was a decade ahead of its time. Because if you yeah, look at sure. old 80s videos, people paddled like shit, even the best yeah. paddlers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you guys had a distinctive slalom style, which is more prevalent, I think, just in general paddling today. I'm not sure why. But it's a very modern style. Like, if you, it's, it's, that was immediately noticeable. There's one guy there doing super loosey-goosey doofax, but beyond that, uh, I was re I'm, I'm always impressed by that. Yeah, well, you know, I, Sean, uh, Sean Baker, it was the driving force behind that film and and a large part of my childhood falling off waterfalls. And and he was the first pro boater that I was really aware of. I mean, he made his living from kayaking, and that was back in the 80s. Yeah. He was sponsored by Sector Watches, uh, Eskimo. Um, there were others. But, um, yeah, he was a good guy to hang out with. And he, he was – he really – he really – progress the sport in in the uk and europe i don't know how much of an effect he had over here but um hmm. yeah he um yeah he had a really big impact on, on kayaking over there people still talk about him i mean for sure he was the first one to run a waterfall over 50 feet I and mean, that's that's mundane today but back then you know that was a big challenge they didn't know what the hell was going on 
Yeah. And this was all this, and this was all in a boat shaped like a damn pickle. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, it was good stuff. Good so stuff. then, in a roundabout way, how'd you end up at Piranha then? Um, I uh, I moved to America in '91, ostensibly to Paddlemore, and I ended up getting edited out here, and, and just ended up working for Dagger for almost ten years. Did a stint at Liquid Logic. Um, got sidetracked with the Olympic committee for a while with canoe and kayak, then ended up at the NOC and then ended up at Piranha. But, um, you know, I bought one of my first plastic boats from Piranha when I was a kid, my parents drove me up there and I met Graham Makarif, who was the guy that started Piranha. And, um, we had stayed in touch ever since. I always made a point of seeing him at trade shows and yeah, he called me up and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So just really quick, USCKT, which is the organizing body behind slalom in the United States, right? Was. It's the Was. ACA now. Right. So what you have a budget, let's say I want to give you twenty million dollars and you have five years. How do we how do we get slalom back to where it was in nineteen eighty eight? You can't. The the map the amount the amount of money that you the, that you need to spend to get one medal. It's astronomical. Not a medal. Not a medal. Just back to review. You have a team trial with 60 nah. people showing up. Slalom's dead. The, the, the sport of slalom is dead, along with wild water. In the and, U.S.? And I would, I would argue, I mean, slalom and, slalom and wild water is declining across Europe as well, where, which okay. is it's, it's – the, the sport is dead. It's lost contact. It's, in my opinion, it's lost contact with the sport of kayaking, um, with, with the larger sport of kayaking. These crazy ass boats that are super fragile. Um, n- now, now they're all paddling on man-made courses that cost millions of dollars to paddle. I don't even paddle rural rivers anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just it's just moved further and further away from the sport of real kayaking, real whitewater kayaking. Think... And it's so you just take the twenty million dollars and run is what you're saying. <laughs> you don't do anything with it. I mean, you just keep that it. would it would have a negligible effect. I mean, the thing would be to have the thing is like we would be to have enough money that you could change the direction of the sport, right? It's like if you had some, if you could start putting on events that were some kind of like hybrid between a real slalom race and like the North Fork Championship, and then and had real prize money, and then could like really just like hijack the whole sport and take it away from that artificial course, Eurocentric vision, you know. But I guess that would probably take more than twenty million dollars. Well, the, the ICF are trying that now with what they've dubbed extreme slalom, which it, which the rest which the rest of the world calls uh, boat across. But um, so they're running. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but they're running four people at a time as a mandatory role. You know, it's 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 pretty lame, but it's a good move in the right direction. But it's still it's so still a, a long way from where it needs to be. And, Do you- so. Do you feel like some of these <clears throat> governing bodies have just suffocated the sport? Do you feel like they're, they're they have they're somewhat implicit in the in the in the decline in popularity? One hundred percent, yes. I mean, I where, the four years I put in at USAC, you know, I, I got to see behind the Olympic curtain, and I was pretty horrified. At the end of the day, you know, give us a little tidbit. Like what's I, well, I went I went into that job. You know, with, with all with, with all the gusto and passion that the Olympic rings have, you know, I was a huge, hugely passionate about the sport of canoe and kayak, 
the Olympics. And then once you kind of see what really goes on at these events, you know, the, the, the big, the Olympic big wigs from all around the world, they all sit in their little DIP boxes with their backs to the events, working on TV deals and money. And so it, it just ended up being more about money and politics. And the athletes were more, were really at, uh, the pawns on the chessboard. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was pretty horrifying to see. And, and it was, uh, you know, USA, USA canoe and kayak was, was in a tough situation, right? I mean, Eric, um, Rebecca Giddens had just come off a, a medal, uh, a, a series of medals. And uh, it was, it was the slalom had this vacuum. There was no one, there was no obvious person to kind of take the reins there. Scotty P was doing well, Brett Heil, but they were, they weren't medal. Uh, they, they were final hopefuls. They were medal outsiders. Um, sprint was even worse. So, yeah, it was a tough situation, and it's really only gone downhill from there. I think slalom as a whole is in is on is in danger ground. Period in the Olympics. You know, these these courses are costing more and more for four days of competition. At some point, the dollars don't add up. So I think I think slaloms. I think I think uh, they've announced that Boda, that extreme slaloms is going to be in the 2024 games. I think you know, that's a, that's a good effort to try and add more content to these courses, but um, it's yeah. I, I I just think white water sport as a whole is is in danger, long term in the Olympics. Might be might be for the best for slalom in the long run. That's, honestly, that's exactly what I was going to say. Way more freedom, way yeah. more ability to change it up and see if something sticks. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you were talking about having you know hundreds of people at slalom team trials. Well, I mean the needles just moved right you go to the green race or the russell fork race the koei race it doesn't even have to be on hard white water exactly these races are all selling out and that's where it is because it's a balance of fun and competition and that's where slalom used to be back Mm -hmm. in slalom's heyday you would train in the morning and then you grab your grab your slalom boat and go run section four in the afternoon Right. Yeah, there was a fun and training aspect, and that's completely that's completely mm-hmm. gone now. So, so competition's just moved on, but the Olympics hasn't. Yeah, and those mm-hmm. races you mentioned, like the guy who gets seventy fifth had just as much fun as the guy who got first. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, agreed. Hmm. All right. So you end up at Piranha. Yeah. And been, uh, been, been an awesome four years. Here in the U.S., Piranha U.S. is a different company than Piranha, Piranha U.K., right? You guys are on separate business, or how does that work? Yes. Who's your boss? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're, um, I, I report directly to Graham Makarath, you know, the right. owner of Piranha. No, he, he started Piranha, actually, 50 years ago this February, this coming February. So 50? He's my, 50 years ago, yeah. Five zero. Five zero. February is our fiftieth anniversary. So I guess we seeing heck. some media about that. And... Oh man, we should have some kind of party or something. Yeah, if this damn pandemic wouldn't get in the way, there was gonna be one. But um And so you got uh, but pandemic notwithstanding, you guys just probably like everybody else is coming off your best year ever, right? That was an it was an amazing twenty twenty, right? I mean we for, for outdoor we great... for the outdoor industry to be Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But just just like the rest of the outdoor industry, yeah, it's been good to us. We had a great first quarter and at the end of that the end of that first quarter obviously the bad news of the pandemic hit and we had a couple of weeks wondering if the world was going to come to an end or not right just like the rest of us yeah and then then all of a sudden we couldn't we couldn't get boats in quick enough for the rest of the year so it's it's been quite a ride you think the you think this little tsunami this wave is gonna keep going for a little while or do you think it's a one and done year what do you what do you see in in projections for the future 
Yeah, so I uh, this is obviously a bubble driven by the driven by the pandemic. So the real, the real question is, what's the new normal? And I think you know, I think will I think things will taper off as people start to travel again uh, internationally and and go on these big adventures that they're missing. Um, but where where's the new baseline? Uh, we we've, we've introduced tens or if not hundreds of thousands of people to the outdoors. Well, they've rekindled that passion to the outdoors and and hopefully some of them stay there. So, you know, we just got to figure out what that new baseline is. I, I think generally this has been a very positive thing for all outdoor sport and it will have a lingering effect. It's just it just depends. Uh, it just depends how uh, how 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 far we bounce back. Mm. What, do you, what do you guys think? I think you're right on. I think a percentage will stick around and, you know, hopefully they'll, you know. We've been seeing participation, at least, I mean, this is anecdotal, but we've seen participation, like in the upper yacht race, so that's any barometer, increasing pretty steadily over the years. There's a certain number of people you see on the river increasing every year. So, and I think, I I think it's, it's a bubble, but I think. I, I think we're going to see, I mean, I, I keep saying this and I don't want to bore our audience with this again, but I, I think we're seeing something similar to what we saw in the seventies and eighties where America sort of realigned its interest in outdoor sports um, and becoming more of a, more of a thing, which is great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so good. if you had asked me a year ago, right before the pandemic and, you know, going seeing what's going on with, with dagger, you know, in confluence getting bought by Pelican and really, you know, the fact of how few whitewater boat companies, there's really no whitewater boat companies have ever made it alone. And Jackson, you know, moving on from EJ, and I think at that point probably taking a less whitewater-focused approach, the whitewater boat game, at least in the U.S., was was piranhas to lose, right? They're the ones that had the strongest, you look at the Ripper and the Machno and, you know, Fuseli and the ex- experience you guys have in the sales team here in the U.S., and then you have a European backing, which, in my opinion, gives you guys a real stability economically, um, just because participation in Europe just seems to be so much just more steady. Um, but it seems like this year has changed everything. I, I'm saying things now that I would never say ever. Like I'm seeing companies like Waka and and um, Varus, you know, and these guys suddenly maybe they have a crack at this thing. I mean, where do, what do you think? Do I have this all wrong? Like, what's what do you, what's your take on the on the look of whitewater boat designs and manufacturing going forward from here? Um, yes, that's really a t- that's really a twofold question you asked me. So you're right, you're right about Piranha. We've had it, it, the the drama surrounding Confluence and uh, even Liquid Logic going for, going consumer direct and Jackson. It's been yeah. good for us. Uh, at the same time that we've also been managed, we, we managed to focus on, uh, on some designs that made a, made a big impact. So, yeah, I think Piranha has Piranha's definitely moved into, I would say, a leadership a leadership position in Whitewater right now. Right. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think the we've got these young young whippersnappers coming into the market, um, yeah. and it's frankly it's brilliant. Um, remember, remember that no, when, da- when Dagger started, it was a young startup company that threatened perception, mm-hmm. and look where they've ended up. Right? I mean, every company that's come in has ha- has, has started off where Walker is right now, or Veris, or Spade, or whoever it is, and some of them will survive, some won't. I mean, you know, John, it's not it's not 
it's not easy to make money in this business. I mean, the, the best way to make, make, make a million dollars in the paddle sports business is to start with two. Well, it hasn't, hasn't been so, easy for you, but it's been quite easy for us. But that's another story. It's, it's not, it's, trust me, it's not easy for us either. But um, uh, no, I think, you know, it, I mean, it's, yeah. it's refreshing to see these young companies come in with different ideas about what works for them and what doesn't. Um, and I think some of them stand a good chance of being the next Jackson, Piranha, Dagger, whatever it is. Some, and some won't because it is logistically very, very hard. So as a boat designer, how do you respond to people just saying over and over again, just make the damn OG, would you please? I mean, <laughs> could you just make this just like this, but like the OG instead? I mean, what um, do you, what, I mean, that, what do you, like, what's the response as a company to that? You know, I mean, what do you guys, do you guys figure out what's the next step beyond that? Yeah. Well, so, so first of all, every company has their own design DNA, in my opinion. I mean, sure. like, I think, uh, you know, I think, Dagger, for example, is a very mature brand um, in terms of the people that buy it. I think uh, Piranha is a slightly more youthful brand in terms of who buys it. Our boats are generally more sporty mm -hmm. um, as a result. So, um, so, so why we don't need a copy? We don't need a. I mean, we don't need a copy what Wack is doing. I mean, we've. We're we're really steadfast in the direction, the designs that we want that we want to do, right? Um, and, and and you know, I'll I'll say something that might be unpopular. I've paddled the OG and I really didn't like it. So <laughs> no, and, and I'm I'm, being, I'm, I'm, make, I'm I'm phrasing it the way to, to spark an answer. But like you know, I hear people out here where the OGs are super popular, obviously because of the type of rivers we have, and Evans out yeah. here, and you know, it's hard for people to believe there's other types of paddling than here. <laughs> Other types of boaters, you know what I mean? You get caught in this bubble. Yeah, um, no, we, we hear that from through, uh, from Fuseli all the time, right? And he's right there in Hood, in Hood, White exactly. Salmon Hood River, and you know the, the OG makes a lot of sense uh, right there on the white and the little white. Um, you know, we made changes to the updated version of the Nine R Two based on some of Dave's feedback um, in that same environment, but you come east there's always going to be a place for a boat like the Mukno in our lineup that's you know, has no edges and is very round with our with our kind of with our rocky mank that we have here in the southeast so so there's yeah so you don't so you don't uh, yeah so you, you, i appreciate what what Wak is doing but it's definitely influenced by where by where they are in new zealand and people like Evans feedback, you know, who's sure. there in Hood River. I think if he was, if he, if Evan lived on, if Evan lived on the green, I think his feedback would be very different and would influence Walker in a very different direction. So no doubt, no doubt. So let's talk about half slice boats, like the Ripper, things like that, which felt like they were like a new class of boats, right? Um, what's next? You know, I do. You, I mean, do you guys feel that way? Am I have this wrong? I feel like when the Brack came on board and then the Ripper came along, I felt like we were, we were like a brand new toy to, to use. Can I back up <laughs> real quick? So when you reference paddling the green versus paddling a different river, what what does that mean? It means paddling a river with hard white water and real <laughs> water rather than like sort of a drainage ditch kind of a gravel bar. You see how I've been inculcated, Gettleman? You you've, see that? You've, you've obviously not been <laughs> to the green okay? in the last was... year and a half. <laughs> I know. Now, my, 
my um my point is that our our reference points for for kayak design and that type of stuff gets very influenced by where where we are and where we are testing boats. Right. So, you know, to use an example, you know, just Piranha, right? We got Piranha UK and Piranha US. So Piranha UK, their closest river is the D, which is a class two three, not very steep river that requires a shitload of rain for it to run. <laughs> it's you know, and that that's their that's their local piece of whitewater. There's a lot more other good stuff nearby, like the Fairy Glen and other stuff, but and then we've got Piranha US, you know, twenty minutes from the green and and surrounded by other other whitewater. So we often have conflicting viewpoints about what a boat should be, largely because of where uh, of how we've been influenced by where we're paddling. And then to, then to throw in you know, Fuseli's uh, um, viewpoint with him out there in White Salmon, that we often end up with this kind of mixing pot of, of, uh, of ideas to take a boat design in, in one direction. Then we have to sift through that and refine it and then give it to Robert Pearson, who's, who's honestly the magician. Like he, he takes all this feedback and comes up with a kick-ass boat at the end of the day that seems to make everybody happy. So is it's, it, is God, he is amazing. Possible? I'd love to get Yeah, he is. Show. He is a great, great boat designer. Is it financially possible to make like a West Coast Machno and an East Coast Machno to keep everyone happy? Is that a financially possible thing? Yes and no. I um, guess my question... I mean, we, Go on. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I guess my question is, I don't see much difference between the way the green is running and the little white at four feet. Like I'm trying to like, I, I don't get the difference and what what's different there. Well, the green the green there's a lot more rock contact and that type of stuff. We tend to we're boofing off a of rock and water. The the white little white it tends to be a lot of water moves. I, mean, I haven't run the little white in about 15 years. My uh, wow, they're just so my, similar to me. I mean, I guess. I, I guess if you just. No, I don't. I disagree with that. I feel like I feel like a lot of the moves out here, not just a little way, a lot of moves out here are sort of those mid-drop, start for, late boofs where you really have to pull the boat up from your core and try and get the nose up over a, a lip. And there's a lot of rivers, as as Lewis would say, would be a very mediocre day if you got stuck in it if you don't know how to do that trick, you know. But the green, you're you know, you a lot of these big driving up on the bank type moves. You know what I mean? Or up on a rock to really get your nose elevated that way. You just don't do that here because the rocks just are not going to allow it. Not I, like yeah, I agree, and I, I guess I like I wouldn't take it as like a slight to the southeast at all. No, you know? no, no. I mean, I think it's like no. you know, like if I were like people back east, sometimes will ask me about like the OG, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like it's a sick boat, but like you know, like what really makes it come to life is kind of like this like high volume creaking style, but to me is like I don't know, like Little White Callahan Ashloo, like like that style of whitewater, that boat just works. And it's like, it's not to say that it wouldn't work great on the green, but like, I'm not sure that you would take it somewhere and like, be like, this is like, this kayak is magic the way it is magic out here. You know, like, I think that's a fair. All those rivers are so similar in my mind. I don't, I'm trying to place the difference. I don't know. I guess I haven't been to the green with proper water in in an awfully long time, but yeah, I'm. I'm not saying one way or the other. I mean, the green's been running 200 percent for like two years. Yeah, you know what I mean. So right, like, right. I mean, it's been above 20 inches for two years. So it's like, yeah. Um, I guess if but you're my... talking about like a, a super low water kind of slide, like a Wilson's Creaky type thing or something like that, I can see the difference. But I just, 
Sorry, I'm just trying to think yeah, of the difference I mean, between the ash blue and the green and the little white when it comes to boat design because those are all yeah, so perhaps similar. Perhaps I didn't use the two best rivers as reference points, but my bottom. But the bottom line is that our opinions on what works and what doesn't is very much influenced by where we paddle the most. Right. So how do you how do you make someone like you know, Fuseli happy that's paddling the white little white every day versus um, no Chuck Morris who lives on the upper yuck. So, you know, how do we, uh, how do you, how, how do you, how do you combine all those things and make something magic come out, come out the other end? Huh. It's a process. You were going down a road there before I interrupted Weld about the half slice designs in this new genre. Where were you going with that? Well, do you feel like there's more to be done in that genre of boats? That's the first part. And the second part is, do you think what's the next thing? I mean, do you think like what the, like the Steve's where you're having sort of a, a half slice meet a creek boat type thing is that is that a direction we're going to be seeing uh boat manufacturers take in the next couple of years i mean what are you guys what's well, going what, to yeah in in my opinion the half slice market is is fantastic to look at right now because on the on one side of the half slice market you've got a boat like the antics which is super super playful not something i would choose to paddle anything hard down um then at the other end, you've got the Steez, which is ostensibly a stern, pivotable creek boat. And kind of in the middle, you've got you know, the Rewind and the Ripper. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a really cool. There's, there's a half slice in there for everybody, right. which is really, really neat. So can you extend those two ends? Maybe a little bit, but I don't know how much. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you could push the two ends of that half slice spectrum out much further. But there's definitely room for manufacturers within those two ends to come out to move, to move their boats around within that half slice market. Like if, if like if we were going to do an updated ripper, for example, you know, would we do wh which direction would we go in, right? Right. Um, which if Dag if Dagger was going to update the rewind, which direction would they go in? So um, yeah, so I think generally though, I think I think there's a half slice there for everybody. Um, but. <laughs> Don't I? I don't see any obvious direction that that market could go in. I'm ready for a ten foot ripper. I think that boat would be sweet. Uh, that I agree with you 100% about ten foot boats. Well, ten, ten, tenish boats, right? We've got. We all stopped around nine because of sick line, and then sick line went away, and then some boats have creeped over nine feet, and then we've got this big jump to twelve, the twelve foot boats. And, that, yeah. and the twelve up, the twelve up puts a massive smile on my face every time I paddle it. Uh, I'd love to see something between those two lengths, and no one's no one's done that before. Hmm. And uh, I think that that would be an interesting ground to go into. Man, I'll tell you, it's refreshing to see the class five boats not be constrained by links. Yeah, agreed. you know, because it was such a weird thing trying to make a nine foot boat fast and also handle whitewater really well. It just doesn't work. Like those two mm -hmm. things are not compatible. And just leaving that imaginary nine foot barrier, it was an eight foot six for a while or whatever, and just going straight with a boat that functions well in hard whitewater is refreshing to see, in my opinion. Yeah, like if, you, if you go back and look at all the boats that have been made over the last just five or six years right it's every it's nine feet and below you know i mean nine and a half feet and below mm -hmm. but there's there's nothing above that until you hit the until you hit these 12 foot long boats which are which are which are still so yeah it's 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 intriguing ground isn't it 
And and let's not forget, back in the day, the free fall, the overflow. These were all ten foot creekers that pioneered a lot of the whitewater, a lot of the whitewater around the world. So it'd be really interesting to go back there and, and see what's. I ran the shit use. in the free fall, man. Dude, so quick, 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 quick story. So the first time I ever ran gorilla. Was in a Topolino after after shortly sure after short, How long shortly was, moving, how long was moving to America, and, and it did not go well. It did not go well. I remember those I remember boats getting being, like in my mind. I remember to, I thinking a Topolino is like four and a half feet long. It feels it feels about that. It feels about that. But but how long are they? Oh God, I don't even remember. It's ridiculously short. Are they ten short, feet? But, I think it's no. six. It's like six. Yes. It's okay. a bit. Topolino is about as tall as I am. Yeah, I saw, I, I, but I remember trashing that boat at Gorilla and uh, buying a free fall the next week and thinking this <laughs> boat was like the magic carpet ride. I'm like, oh my God. You, you, could, you couldn't get me out of that boat after that. So speaking of Dagger, what's going to happen with Dagger, do you think? Like, what's your best prediction? And I, I, I've, I've made a lot of wild speculations and I know nothing about it. And Adrian, I'm sorry ahead of time. Uh, but I hear, I see Snowy leaving. I see them getting bought by Pelican. I'm like, I've been around long enough to know the economics of water. Snowy hasn't left before we get in any more trouble. I yeah. thought I thought he I thought he stepped down. Snowy Snowy is a contractor that's still contracting with with uh, with Pelican. Okay, well, good. I'm glad that's been clarified. <laughs> so what's the what's so what's your what's your thoughts? Like, I mean, do you think they're going to be a continuing concern, or do you think they're going to? I mean, may I? It would be wild speculation on my behalf uh, re- to say to say anything. I think you know, I, Confluence was already a big entity, and now it's on. Now it's under the the Pelican umbrella. It's it's even larger. They, in this uh, explosive market which we're in, in right now, I mean, they they have to be steering all of their production towards high turn items, which are not white water boats. So, yeah. I, but, but but the same token that they're investing in new team members. Um, right. I, I saw their new boat debuted on social media today officially, so it's it's out. Um, so I mean, in terms of, wait, in terms which, of track bo- which boat is out? The Dagger Code. Okay. It, so that, that'll that'll hit my social media here within the last couple of hours. It looks looks like a Mamba hull with a phantom deck. Um, so yeah, so they're. In terms of boat designers, I mean, Snowy and Robert Pearson are the ones that have the best, longest track record in our industry. It'd be terrible, I mean, to have that. I mean, that's wrong way phrasing. They're they're, they're two of the best boat designers around right now, wouldn't you say? They're good, but I certainly wouldn't take anything away from Shane. Shane Benedict's uh, huge impact on boat design. All right. I mean, when, when... when Pat's and Pat's Pat Kellis had massive Im- impact as well, and others. Just Kenny Mutton. You, so, yeah, he's he's, he's good so far. I mean, he doesn't have he doesn't have the the decades of 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 record track record yet. But I mean, but, what is decade? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like you always go down this road, and like this is a weldism. Like, it's a weldism. Like to me, it's like I, mean, I don't I don't want to like cast aspersions on any of those guys, but I mean, like they've all been along around long enough to like come out with like some like massive duds, you know. And like I wouldn't, you know, like I would that's say you learn. I would that's, say Ken, that's... I would say Kenny Mutton is hitting at like a way, way, way higher batting average than you know virtually any of those guys, really. 
Right. Maybe. Well, to, to get to my point, I, I, I'm rooting for Snowy and I'm rooting for Dagger. I'm, gonna, I'm an old team Dagger paddler, right? I, I, I want to see these guys succeed. And I don't want to come across yeah. otherwise, you know? Um, no, uh, John, I, I, I couldn't. The, the whitewater industry would be tremendously worse off without Dagger. I, I, I sincerely hope that, that everything works out under Pelican for those guys. It's an incredible brand that's had a tremendous legacy um, that continues to do amazing things. Snowy's incredible, but it's not just Snowy. The team behind him over there is, is amazing as well. So right. uh, the whitewater industry would be would be in a much in a much worse off position if, if Dagger were to go away. And I really hope that doesn't happen. So, but I I don't and I don't think that will happen. Yeah, I don't either. I, there was a, definitely a lull when the whole sale happened, but just. Mm-hmm. Over the past two months, there seems to be a little energy creeping up over in that camp. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, and, I mean, it seems like through the whole thing, I mean, they've come out with, like, quite a few new boats. And, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem like any signs of... So, my co-host here are probably going to laugh at me. And you may, too, laugh at me as well, Chris. But <clears throat> ten years ago, no one in the... No mountain bike designer ever thought they would be designing e-assist bikes and they would be the number one oh, selling God. thing within the lineup do you see I, I any kind of nightmare about this last night <laughs> do you literally. see any kind of e-assist working in whitewater not touring or anything like that but in whitewater do you do you see this ever being a thing the same way e-assist is a i mean you look at mountain bikes you look at the whole industry it's all e-assist at this point no one would have no. thought that 10 years ago <laughs> So you're a negative. No. All right. Cate- categorically no. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna. It looks like I'm gonna have to patent this thing and run with it myself. <laughs> Best of luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. What else you guys got for Mr. Hipgrave? What, what? Chris, I want to talk about surfski for a minute. You've gotten really into surfski, eh? Yeah, I have. Yeah. How? It's, yeah. Tell it's, me. It's a. It's amazing. I mean, it's my. I raced wild water for a long time and that, you know, that, that kind of set me up for, for success in surf ski. But yeah, surf skis are like 20 or my surf skis t- almost 22 feet long, but it's 17 inches wide at the waterline. Uh, it's, it's rutted. Uh, it won't, it weighs less than 20 pounds and you steer with your feet, but it's meant for, it's meant for racing or covering big distances, mainly, mainly, mainly in the ocean. Um, but out there where you guys are, um, no, I come out there every summer and paddle there in the uh, on the Columbia there in, in the gorge because it's one of the best downwind uh, downwind places on earth. It's absolutely incredible. But yeah, it's it's mind mind blowing. Mind, so it's so much fun. What kind yeah, of I got out, I got out of, oh, sorry. I was gonna say I got out a bit at the end of the summer and it, it kind of uh, it kind of struck a nerve with me or struck a chord. So I, I got to go pick up a boat up in Bellingham here at some point in the next couple of weeks. Oh, cool. You're yeah. buying a surf ski. I am. Sick. Yeah. It's it is uh, it's so much fun. I mean, like trying. Uh, you you're not going tremendously fast on the Columbia because you're surfing upstream. It's wind against current there that sets everything up. But it's still it still feels like you're going about a hundred miles an hour on a on a boat that's 17 inches wide, and you're trying to surf everything that you can and. It's a three-dimensional surf as well. Like you're looking for like little bumps in order to get the nose down, and 
Oh, it's 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 a hundred percent addictive. It's amazing. It's cool. Yeah, it feels like sort of like a mix between like long boat surfing and attaining. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. What kind of there's a there's a good number of whitewater guys that have made that switch or uh, added surf ski to their repertoire as well. So it's because no it, whitewater here for eight months out of the year. And you have to do something. <laughs> if you want to be in a boat, it has to be a flower to go to Columbia. And you put well, John, it you haven't John, had to take over this, but you said paddling in the Columbia in, a, in one of these these uh, surf skis is, is as sketchy as paddling a little white. Uh, you want to play? <laughs> do you remember that? Did I, did I say that? You, you told me that. You said, go ahead and take mine out. It's over Dave's. Bring a life jacket because it's as sketchy as paddling a little white. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, your first, maybe your first time. I, I have a boat out there. If you ever want yeah. to borrow it and go for, go for it, do it. But uh, I am. I am going to take that boat out. Yeah. Please do, because it has piqued my interest as well. Good, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. And, and again, it, it, you only get white water for such a short time out there, so oh, no. why the hell not? I know. You see the plant behind Geltman there? It's, it still looks dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna take it a while to come back to life. <laughs> things, things had a hard summer. <laughs> oh man, where were we going with this? Um, you going to the Big Gear show? No. Oh. Do you? Well, as I was saying earlier, we're not invited. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> not because I've been railing against it nonstop for the past two and a half years, but because we don't make boats. I think it's a hard to the show. Yeah, no, we've, we've, decided, not to, we've decided not to go. Um, it, wow. makes, uh, it makes uh, – the timing just simply doesn't work for us. Uh, I, I know it's better for you earlier and earlier. That's not – for us, for us be, we, need, be we need later. Yeah, see, for for us, we need it. We need it later. We need we need it after Labor Day, ideally. Um, and I, in most of the most of the retailers going to that event, seem to be the Grassroots Alliance retailers, yeah, as well. So it, it just it, it just didn't make a lot of sense for us. So we're so we're sitting this one out. We're going to go. We're going to do kind of the organic preseason rollout like we did this year. It worked so well in this pandemic that we, it kind of forced us to reinvent how we rolled everything out and it worked. So I don't know why we wouldn't do it again without without a show. Although I think you know, if someone can put one put something together, it would be amazing to get back together as, as an industry. I just don't think the big gear show is it. When, do we see, when are we gonna see a new boat from Piranha? Like what's gonna be the next big release day? January. January what would you reckon? January 2021. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, what, what are we going to release? Do you think? Like, what's uh, any guess as to what that might be? Like no, what direction I, I, we're headed. I, Will it have batteries? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can categorically tell you it does not have batteries. <laughs> no, we've been um, we've been testing a boat um, here. Um, uh, for a while and in the UK and I think Fuseli is getting on the water here uh, in one of the prototypes here soon as well so we'll be um, we'll be making we'll be rolling that out um, January to the public our, our dealers already know about it obviously but um, the public will start hearing about it in January pretty stoked I've been in it I'm I'm jazzed beyond what belief what genre of what we're about are we talking about what uh, we're talking we're talking one that excels in white water John <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. So uh, we, you so heard it here it, first, folks. It's, um, it's, it's shorter than twelve feet, but longer than seven feet. 
Okay, so it's not a Topolino type craft. It's something it's, bigger I than I can assure you it's not a Topolino. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Glad I, glad I could sneak that out here. <laughs> Have we improved? What are we doing in terms of cockpit shapes? Are we making headro uh, headway there in terms of improving the cockpit shapes? No, our, our, we're we're locked in with that cock, that cockpit shape for now. Can we please? We need to. I know. I know. Uh, okay. All right. We'll set this aside for 2022, maybe. You okay. guys and your cockpits. Well, I'm the one who gets blamed for it. When a boat leaks, guess whose fault it is? This guy's. The spray spots. I'm like, no, Wait. it's the thousand dollar boat you bought. They're like, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's, for me, if it's a skirt. <laughs> it's definitely not our boat. It's definitely your skirt. Definitely your skirt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we're an There's hour and 36 a... minutes in here. What do you got, John? Close us down here with Mr. Hipgrave. Oh, that's it. I think we're good. What we... You, you oh. didn't ask me. You didn't ask me about paddle length and offset. I'm kind of disappointed. Yeah. What do we got? Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. You're totally going totally to knock it out of the park with this one. I, if Dude, I, yeah. I one, so. Okay. 60 degree. Yes. Yeah, and I use I use a two piece G pal paddle that has adjustable length. So I'm at 200 in my creek boat and 204 in my 12 R. Sick. That's right. proper. Yeah. You can come back. You can come back on the show. <laughs> Thank talk, you. Talk about your new boat after the new year. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Is there anything you'd like to add Chris before we let you go here? No, dude. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Let's, uh, I'm looking forward to putting 2020 in our rear view mirror for so many ways and for mm -hmm. so many reasons, but, uh, I think 2021 is going to be pre pretty monumental for this industry. It's going to be really interesting. Right? It'd be good to catch up with you guys, you know, six months down the road and see how it's going. But it's it's going to be a, it's going sure. to be uh, it's going to be earth shattering. I think. I think there's so we the, the outdoor and the the paddle sports community did so well this year. We have resources and industry to do things we have not dreamt of doing since 1999. Correct. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're we're talking about things we have never thought possible. Just in terms of, I, I mean, a lot of stuff behind the curtains that wouldn't be readily apparent, but supply chain stuff and materials and production. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great year for, for kayaking. Yeah, fingers yeah, crossed. I think so, too. I think so, too. Well, thanks for the time, Mr. Hipgrave. And, uh, yeah, dude, we'll see you on the river. We All right, guys. Cheers. Thanks, thanks. All right. See you, Chris. I know he assist. You think that's a dead in the water idea I got? Nobody seems into it. Got it. I think so. it's an uphill battle, man. I, I think most whitewater paddlers are doing this to get away from that. I mean, I would have thought that Chris would have been the guy to give us some insight because his buddy Sean Baker was had that uh, that like rocket powered kayak or jet ski powered kayak or whatever it was. That's another I think perennial that, YouTube. I think that classic. did more harm to the idea. <laughs> you know because that was just so obnoxious what i'm talking about is just something you can just engage for like a four second pop you know what i mean like just like Vroom! you're just like Vroom! i'm sorry it'd be sick <laughs> it would be sick it would be so sick um all right guys we got some listener mail here we may not cover all this because we are How did i mean we can we can group these into into a couple of very simple categories. The number one being the hate mail for grace and the vaccine talk. 
Let's just let's skip all the rest of these and just read this one from Alan Roberts because that one was good. Like that was like the most informative email Hammer Factor has ever gotten. I think it, there's well, a let's... paddler. There's a paddler in this area who who Geltman knows quite well, who is in the medical profession, who has gotten my ear numerous times on this on your anti-vax thing. I'm not anti-vax. I'm vaccine hesitant. Yeah. Can we clarify that? That's basically the same thing. Oh my god. All right, well, well, when we get to this email, we'll talk about it. Let's do... Uh, he's, he's writing in. Let's do Jorg, Jorg Steinbach's email real quick. He says, The EJ podcast was awesome. He brings another level of, of excitement to the sport and podcast. No offense, but the whiny negative comments from Lewis has been played out. Time to move on from him and add EJ permanently. EJ permanently. He's way more connected to what's happening in the kayaking community. Ask him to at least sub in when Lewis is out doing his thing in D.C. I will point out that Gellin's probably paddled five to seven times more this year than, than <laughs> Evan did. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Evan uh, spends most of his time in those, those flying those kites around the Dalles or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm loyal to a fault. Lewis, you're not getting out of here, even if you want. So... Um, man, we've got some great listener mail. We're going to have to push some of these back because we are way late and it's 6 p.m. here on the East Coast and I have to go attend to some children. Which one did you want to read here on the vaccine hate? I want to read, we don't have to read this whole email. It's too long, but just read through the one from, uh, from Alan Roberts. Alan Roberts says Grace is wrong. I got it up. You want me to read it? Okay, no, no, no. I got it right here. Now, uh, this is actually a really good one. This, was a, this needs to go on the show notes because I thought there was this was extremely informative. Yeah. Um, so this is in reference to the last show. To clarify, I was hesitant to get the vaccine. I have misgivings about it. EJ, EG's, Evan's like, dude, I think his comment was like, I'd rather French kiss a girl with COVID than get that shot. I'm definitely not in that camp, you know, but like I have some misgivings. So he says, hey, Hammer Factor, I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist and longtime paddler. I heard some misconceptions about the COVID mRNA vaccine during your last episode. I want to help clear some things up. This isn't hate mail, and I'm not calling anyone stupid or ignorant. Skepticism is healthy when it comes to any medical interventions that haven't been rigorously tested. And our current administration's attack on health experts at the FDA, CDC, and NIH have only increased public mistrust. It's completely understandable to be concerned. So I would like to give Mr. Alan Roberts here a big kudos because when someone says something, he didn't immediately start saying they lack morality or sending them Alex Jones things and calling them a freaking <laughs> flat earther and whatever. He says, Listen, okay, I care. understand where you're coming from. Okay, so that's, that's all I'm going to say about this. It's a very let's, well put out email. There are a lot of good points in there. He's backed up by links, and he is right with everything that he's saying here. I just want to go on that first and thank him for at least having some bit of non-assholeness in his email. <laughs> so let's let's just be perfectly clear about the source of the Alex Jones type memes that were going on in the Hammer Factor group text over the last week <laughs> <laughs> or two. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. I, 
I mean, what do you want me to say? I, I have. I, it makes me nervous. I, you know, okay. like you okay, like so you, you, want, you want it to not be that way, but it is. Um, however, the evidence thus far for both uh, efficacy and safety is looking really good for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, which are the two mRNA vaccines that have results from rigorous testing. Here are a few common questions and misconceptions, many of which I heard on the podcast. I hope some of this information will be useful if you decide to keep talking about COVID vaccine on the podcast or just in conversations with friends and family. Also, the CDC has a nice summary about mRNA vaccines here. Thanks for making the Hammer Factor happen. It's great company when I'm driving to the river solo in these quarantines days. Alan Roberts, Seattle, Washington. Um, he has, this is very, very long, and it's very detailed and very clear, and he answers some really good questions that, I mean, he clarifies some points that we talked about that were great, and I've fully am on board with everything he's got to I say. I thought it was just an incredibly edifying email that he had obviously put a lot of time and thought into, and I really appreciated reading it. Yeah, I agree, 100%. And also, Alan Roberts, he is, you know, he started this off with understanding people like me. That was so, right. That's, so that's very, very, it was a very kind and educational email. Exactly. I used to teach with a British guy named Alan Roberts. I think he ended up on the Nile or something like that. Mark is still around. Alan Roberts, if you're out there, send me an email. <laughs> He's stalking you from a hammer factor afar. No, I will definitely include this on the email. And uh, I, I'm not going to bring up the, the vaccine anymore because it just... Thank you. It's just like, <laughs> okay, moving on. What else we got? Level of hate. <laughs> Ryan Stevenson is dumbfounded by anti-vax grace. Joe Keck calls me out. <laughs> Kevin likes the hammer factor until we talk about the vaccine. Um, lots of great emails. Thanks for sending those in. I got thick skin. I'm fully, uh, fully on board to take it. Um, we've got some guest ideas here. Oh, okay. We can talk about this off the show. Sorry. But you can't do that. Well, Pooley, Joe, a long time ago, Joe Pullian, the ex-owner of Dagger, wrote me it, with uh, – uh, he'd been listening, and he, I think he wanted to clarify and discuss some things we've been talking about. I don't want to bore the audience too much about industry stuff, industry stuff so we can fit that in at some point. But that's been on my list to discuss with you guys at some point. That's why it's – He was a great guest before. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want everybody out there to think I'm a flat-earther, anti-vaxxer, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's amazing. This little company, Moderna – I mean, they came up Here with this go. technology. I mean, think what about starting have... a business like that and just having this technology that no one's ever given the light of day, and all of a sudden, boom, you, you get your, you get your we... opportunity. In terms of guest ideas, we should definitely even though you've never made put a diversity whitewater on that list as well, and get those those um, the two founders of that to come back, Antoinette, and I guess it's Lily was the other one. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that uh, I think that'd be really good. So I did that. Um. All right, guys. Now to everyone's favorite part of the show. This is where your host going a little bit of a rant, a little bit of a rave about something they're extremely stoked about or is gnawing at their backside. Um, this is our rants and raves. This is going to shut us down for 2020, boys. I hope that you have something good in store. Who would like to lead us off? I want to rave about an under-recognized boat designer, particularly by me, and it's Shane Benedict. Hi, I'm who, here to rant. 
Hey. Oh. oh, there we go. Okay. Hey, hold on okay. for a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Finish your rant. Finish your rant. Oh, yeah. My rant. What was that? Oh, I just want to shout out to Shane, who has been in this game as long as anybody, and has as 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 much as anything person changed the sport. His career from perception to starting Liquid Logic to all about the boats he designed. I feel like when I was sort of on that tangent talking about Snowy and. Uh, and Pearson, you know, how could you not mention Shane in the same breath? So, I just want to address that. A special shout out to him because I know he listens. And yeah, I remember the first day, uh, Woody and um, uh, what's that guy's name uh, who started, who helped start Liquid Logic, um, who did the, did the camper trailers. Tom, uh, you know, what I'm talking about. Not Steve Jordan. No, the guy, the guy who left to start the camper trailer company. Oh, um, Dempsey. Dempsey. Dempsey yeah. dropped off my Session Plus, which I still have. Best cartwheeling boat ever made. Okay. Okay, well, Darby. Sorry. So, Darby, can you just real quick introduce yourself? You're just you're over at Lewis's house. You've been here and talking about the show. <laughs> how do we how do we go yeah, here? Because our listeners are like, who is this girl who just popped on the show? Oh, hi. Well, I guess. I guess I'm just Lewis's girlfriend. So. Mm. <laughs> I mean, to you guys. <laughs> well, all um, you just like get his paddling gear dry and help him get lunch ready for the river, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a nice day, sweetheart. Have fun in the little white. Um, I guess I'm just another whitewater kayaker. Yeah. You're. Kayaker there in Hood River. Let's just kind of you, real White quick. Salmon. How long? I mean, in in White Salmon. How long have you been paddling? And just give us a quick little background of of just you and the sport. You like mm-hmm. it? I've been paddling like eight or nine years. Um, I'm from Missoula, um, and yeah, started playboating there when I was younger, and uh, yeah, went to World Class Academy, started creeping there, moved out to White Salmon. Um, yeah. Did you move out to White Salmon to paddle? Um, I did, and I was also working for Rush Church's media production company when I came out. So I had a setup. Uh, I had a job out here, actually. Um, <laughs> it's a rarity. And, yeah, and just wanted to come out and paddle the little white a bunch, so. Okay, so we're at our Rants and Rave segment of the show. Now, Lewis is she substituting for you, or you both have a rant or a rave? How's this working? Well, I'm indifferent. I'm happy to hand off my rant to Darby. <laughs> I think we should just add. I mean, it's 2020. Let's just let's just stack it up. All right. Okay, Darby. Are us. you ranting or raving? Um, I have a rant. So let's see. I've been living in White Salmon for three years now, and there's one thing that I've noticed, and it's there's always some bro trying to start a new bro trend and this can be like a word or a hand symbol that like doesn't really make any sense that like that's that's john well comes up with and then like all the bros start doing it and like i don't have any problem with that whatsoever like but there is this one thing that's been happening lately that's really been bothering me i want to rant about don't say um, it's not like my rant is not about broken this is like the best rant we've had in a long time no so i was driving home from hood river the other day 
when I noticed that my truck antenna was like waving back and forth in the wind really wildly. And it was because there was this, this yellow foam ball stuck to the top of it. And anyone that lives in the gorge knows what I'm talking about is this is not the first time I've gotten one of these put on my truck. Anyone that's left their vehicle at like BZ for the afternoon has gotten one of these things. So I'm assuming it's like some bro that's trying to start a new bro trend, putting these little yellow balls on everyone's truck antennas. And the, the, I know it's a kayaker because on the ball is a little kayak and a little cat inside the kayak. And so I guess my, my message to this person is just that, like, your balls do not amuse me. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> nice I thought. wonder if that's, I wonder if that's their, there's some new brand somebody's going to start or t-shirts or something. This is the way they're trying to launch it. Yeah. So I, I saw yesterday that someone had started a new t-shirt brand that was like, yeah, bro. And it had like this symbol, this like, yeah, bro symbol on it. And so that sort of was what got me thinking about this, this yellow ball thing. Like someone starting a yellow ball <laughs> trend, like all these trends. It's so annoying. <laughs> It's gonna show up in the river. It's like that's exactly it's like, what it is. It's like, why need more styrofoam balls in the world? Like, make an annoying sticker like everybody else. Well, that reminds me of thing, and it's these these plastic tanks that people have put up on on Dock Raid Road that cover these like beautiful Christmas ornaments that are usually up. It's like just trash. That like why does it trash everywhere? Getting, getting free inside baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Little orange balls on antennas. Decorations. Yeah. But I feel like I hate to like just rant. I also want to rave. Can I also rave? Jump in there. Yeah. Well, at least we got rain. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's positive. Rain for Christmas. Have you paddled a little ways uh, since it came up? Mm, I haven't yet. I went to the wind yesterday. What was the level? Like nine feet, I think. That's some that's some some uh, reasonable whitewater there. <laughs> yeah, it was. All right. Was... All right. Let's stay on topic. What do you got there, Lewis? Rant or rave? Mm, rant. I feel like I already or rave. I feel like I already kind of covered it on in the intro, though. My rave is the atmospheric river. Do you guys, people outside the Northwest, know about the atmospheric river? I feel like I've probably talked about this on here a million times already. But it's like I feel like this is like you look at the weather forecast and you're like hurricane coming. You're like yes, and like in the Pacific Northwest, the atmospheric river is our hurricane. This it's makes like this... no sense to me, by the way. But go I... ahead. I know it makes sense. It didn't rain at all. It rained nonstop for like a week, and then Little White did not budge one millimeter. It hasn't rained at all in a week, and all of a sudden Little White's running four feet. Pouring rain over there. It was it was pouring rain for the last like three days. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense, Grace. Just take my word for it. <laughs> and it'll be like the farmlands is too high, the truss is too low, the bottom's way too high, the lower is just about right. I told I told Mitty like a week and a half ago that the little it was gonna come in this Sunday. And he's like, Okay, Sunday. Just gotta study up well. I'll give you Pacific Northwest Cliff Mass weather textbook and you can do some studying. That's all right. I'll just call I'll just call Max, he tells me what to do. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna rant about all these people posting these pictures online of them getting the vaccine. <laughs> no, that's totally a joke. That's totally a joke. I was just totally going to 
<laughs> you're, you're getting the vaccine on live television in your capacity as a political figure. How high would your temptation be to just immediately go into some like fake spasm or something? <laughs> oh my god, there's no doubt. I just start convulsing for sure. No, my I have a rave, and I'm gonna rave. It's so timely. It's starting this show about all of the people who have pitched in over the years and brought a and bought a green key to the Green River Narrows because there's no way without all of those people and the passionate community that we could secure permanent access to this river and it happened. So they are the people who made it happen. All the people who put their $60 in year over year, all the locals, the entire community that made it happen. So I'm going to rave about those folks. And that's how I'm going to shut us down here on 2020. Anything else you guys would like to add? I mean, this is pretty much it for 2020. I mean, you know, we go into Christmas, the holidays. I mean, I feel like we're wasting an opportunity to have Darby on the show here. For sure. But we need to block some time. I'm not ready to go there. This could be a Patreon show. <laughs> you know, because the pre-show, we can't do the pre-show. No, we, we can't do, do the pre-show. You know, but we could do some kind of behind the scenes with Lewis and Darby. Well, I, I can't right now, but maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on and sharing your um, experience there. You're going to have to let us know how it all shakes up. Um, Probably going to wake up a... in the morning to like 12 more balls on my truck. Yeah, you're, you're sunk now. <laughs> oh man, I really made it worse. Didn't I? You've unleashed, you've unleashed the the kraken with the ball guy, I think. Yeah, uh... but at least I'll know who he is now, or she, but probably bro. Well, 2020 has been crazy. Grateful to make it this far. Grateful for my co-host here on the show, Darby, coming on and ranting. All the great things going on. Uh, thanks so much to all the listener mail. Everybody who pays attention to the Hammer Factor, at some point we'll try to get on a better schedule with this thing, but we got another one done. Hmm. Y'all. <clears throat> All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers.